So, let me tell you something that you should have already realized by now about this fucking show you're listening to. This shit is supposed to be for mature audiences. As in grown-ups, mentally mature. It's supposed to talk about adult subjects in an adult frame of mind. It's not fucking that at all. This is two emotionally regressed, broken half-wits pretending to offer insight on movies. All they really offer you is an endless sexual perversion and a laundry list of personal paraphilia issues. You can make your own choices in life, but you have to choose this as entertainment. You know you're better than this. You have to know you are better than listening to Cinema Psyops.
Welcome to the 339th consecutive week of Cinema PsyOps. That is 339 weeks in a row that Matt and I have sat down to do this show. 339 weeks of my life that I will never get back. I'm your host, Court, and my previously mentioned co-host that is also having an existential crisis over this is Matt! I'm fucking, I don't know which way's up anymore and I'm scared. (laughs) Well, I mean, the mass hysteria of me asking you for help on anything alone at the start of the show has to be very confusing for you. Mass hysteria! (laughs) Dogs and cats living together! Mass hysteria! Mass hysteria! (laughs) Not to mention this fucking movie reminds me of you. Ouch! (laughs) Shit you would do. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's fucking, that's some hardcore shit right there. Lose touch with reality, become obsessed with someone who vaguely looks like Marilyn Monroe, stalk them, and then murder anyone who reminds me how pathetic I am? Loosely. Loosely. I'm not saying you would do Marilyn Monroe. I mean, you, you, I I don't know, maybe Elvira. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I cannot comment whether or not I would possibly be following Cassandra Peters around, a.k.a. Elvira. Um, In my youth, I may have, absolutely. Um, I might have been very, very obsessed with her to to a very unhealthy degree, absolutely, but also with Vampyra and uh, and pretty much any other horror movie host, regardless of their gender or whether or not they would be into it. Yeah, I mean, it could be Joe Bob at some point. Uh, at some point, it kind of was Joe Bob. I was questioning yeah, myself because yeah. I was very much attracted to him, and I realized it's just because he's hosting movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, him. then you have to realize what you're actually attracted to. <laughs> right. I mean, once I took a very serious look at some of the horror hosts that I was getting turned on by, I realized, wait, no, I'm not really into all of these people sexually. Yeah. I'm just into horror hosts sexually. That's right. You're just into seeing some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the movie we're talking about this week is Fade to Black, and this is a very interesting film. I'm not exactly sure how the discussion is going to go for us with this, because I feel like if we just scratch the surface of stuff, it would probably be very quick, but there's a lot of shit to unpack in a lot of the dialogue and it's very densely packed in this film. So I feel like we could go really long on this one too. We possibly could. Uh, Yeah. There's a possibility on this one. Yeah, it's uh, first time watch for me. I bought the Blu-ray, sight on scene having never watched the film, but was completely aware of it because of that original VHS cover of all the all the various characters that our, our main character guy that we're following turns himself into, like all the makeups and things. Like that yeah. was the that was the poster with the split face in the middle. And then you see all the other people that like, you know, from his fractured realities or whatever. And it was a very nicely done, like the old school painting style poster and all of that. It was on the VHS cover. I will never forget it. It's always in my mind. And then there's another one where it's just a close up of his face uh painted that's like half Bella Lugosi Dracula that he does um, that was just that cover um, that, that was painted that was glorious as well. So I, I literally knew nothing about the film, never really even read the back of the cover, just remembered always looking at that, always intending to rent the movie, but never pulling the trigger on it as a kid in the days of VHS. And then finally it gets this release on Blu-ray and I'm like, well, clearly this is the best way for me to see it, right? This is going to be remastered. It's a, vinegar, it's a vinegar syndrome release. So I know that they are going to do the best job they possibly could with it to present it in the, the best way possible for me. I've seen them do it before with plenty of other stuff that I can't believe they made look that good. Yeah. And I'm not shilling specifically for the company. I just kind of know that, you know, as far as brands go, the reason there are brands is so that you know that you find a brand that you feel you can trust. It's a brand you feel you can 
can trust. That's how branding works, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm getting at with uh, this particular distributor as to like, I have never been let down by a release of theirs in the quality of the way that they present it. Only in the quality yeah. of the way that it's been produced for some of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just, I knew that this was going to be an opportunity. And then when I saw that, like, they were doing this really big, like, really, really big release. And, like, there was getting a lot of fervor about it. Like, there was a lot of horror fanatics that were really into this movie. And I felt like I missed out on something. So that's why I pulled the trigger on it. Just, you know, bought it as is, you know. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought this is something you would have seen a long time ago. I am actually pretty upset with myself for waiting this goddamn long for being able to see it. I really yeah, enjoyed uh, truly am that is that is weird uh for me at least to know that uh uh that yeah yeah that you have never watched this one before because i was watching this one the whole time thinking yeah man i mean they've he's got to have seen this before right Right. And I, I knew that that was going to be kind of an interesting point for the pablum opening of the intro, because yeah. I will freely admit it. Yes, I was aware of it. Yes, I had seen covers for it everywhere. Yes, it's been in video stores. But for some reason, I think when I reached for it, I just thought like something else was grabbing my attention. And maybe the time frame that I was the most aware of this was when I was in my most extreme gore craziness. Oh, yeah. And, All right. And maybe that's why I didn't rent it. But also, I've only ever really seen it in a handful of stores here and there. But mostly I remember it from seeing it in like movie posters in other movies or at video stores in other movies, because this was a poster that people would gravitate towards as well. You, oh, you, nice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I don't think that it was everywhere for me to be able to rent it. I just feel like the few opportunities that I had, I snoozed on it and I sh so should not have. And I don't even know if this ever got a DVD release or if it was just this is the first time it's been to disc and it's only ever been on VHS, because I know there had to have been a fuck ton of rights issues for the amount of footage and impersonations oh, yeah. and other pieces of other films that they use in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. It just had to have been a rights nightmare to get it for DVD is all I could think. So maybe, yeah. I, and like I said, I don't even know. I didn't do the research on that. I literally just dropped the movie into my player and watched it because that's how we do it. And then when we talk about it, I look stuff up as you're doing the reviews to be able to throw in some factoids here and there for stuff that even I find surprising. That's, yeah. that's how the sauce is made, kids. Everybody knows that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm There's how the sausage is made. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when I claim that I'm just high and I don't know what the fuck Matt is saying, I'm actually reading something on the website and not being able to pay attention to Matt at the same time. Wow, motherfucker. I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm just high. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm fixing to be a lot more, so that's why we're going to have to take the Legion Patreon break, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? You got to get me into some of this, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have it vicariously through me. Although, yeah, right? the day where it comes in studio is getting even closer, I promise. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> All right. So this week for the Pirate Radio Edit, for those of you that are listening on the Legion Patreon ad, first of all, thank you so much. And secondly, you get to hear not one, not two, but three songs that are specifically about Marilyn Monroe, two of which are sung by Marilyn herself. Well, look at that. Yeah. Everyone's lucky. Yeah. So we're getting two Marilyn performances. And the songs that I say that are about Marilyn Monroe, they're entitled I Want to Be Loved, which is our first one. And then another oh, yeah. one that involves I, as in speaking in the first person. So therefore, those songs are about Marilyn when she sings them. That's true. All right. The final song for the night will be also about Marilyn Monroe as well. And then we're going to 
basically feature a few things about, you know, celluloid heroes and how they were taken from us too soon and all what they mean and all of that. So that's kind of the theme. Little Marilyn Monroe, little celluloid heroes taken from us, a little bit of more Marilyn Monroe as well in an obsessive kind of fashion, because that's exactly fade to black in a nutshell right there. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Enough fucking around. I want to get more high than what I am. Here's a Legion what, Patreon. What? This'll keep it quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You call me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash Legion Podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. for her singing voice. No, but she was definitely famous for the kind of dances she would do right there. (laughs) (laughs) You're acting like you're actually seeing the video, although you're picturing it. I could picture that video just fine. Thank you very much. (laughs) I know that movie front to back and side to side court psyops. Don't you I don't know about the movie, but I know know, know about that and her. (laughs) (laughs) My personal favorite is when she sings to the president and says... Happy birthday, Mr. President. And it's clear that the leader of the free world is currently locked in an extramarital affair with Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's fun stuff. Oh. I- I'm sure not so much for Jackie O. You know what will be less fun for Jackie O? What's that? This trailer. Jesus. This is Eric. <laughs> Eric Benford. Double crosses, squealers, bozier. I go to a lot of movies. It's my thing. <laughs> you know what I do to squeeze? <laughs> Why don't you live in the real world with the rest of us? You're so smart, Stella. Tell me what James Cagney's name was in White Heat. Benford is he's sick in the head. He's like retarded or something. Here's to us. Top of the world. I'm a great admirer. I just wanted to meet you. Happy 
directed three movies every day for a year, and I never missed once. I can't picture the creature who'd want to marry you. Tell me, who is this unlucky girl? Marilyn Monroe. Remember, you, you picked me up hitchhiking. I, I gave you the whole idea for my movie. I've never heard of you. But you didn't know what Adolf Hitler's favorite movie was. Broadway Melody, I bet you didn't know that. But what about Cry of Battle and War as Hell? Where were they playing, huh? Eric Benford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills for them, too. Dennis Christopher, star of Breaking Away, creates an unforgettable portrait of life on the edge of terror. Fade to Black. Introducing Eric Benford. Happy birthday, sucker. <laughs> Star of the Silver Screen. Master of Disguise. Well, I think he's calling you out. Hop along, Cassidy. Oh, look at this. Minister of Horror. Now in the ultimate performance of murder. This is it. It's Hollywood. You can't touch me. Not now. Fade to black. Jesus trailer, way to fucking ruin it for everybody. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much the movie. Goodbye, everybody. Have yeah, a good one. our work is done here, everybody. Have a good night. The the trailer went ahead and did it for us. So fuck y'all. Have a good one. Yeah. Final Oops. thoughts, or should I just play through the clips real quick and get out of here? Let's play through the clips um, and tell everyone to fuck off one last time, and then we're out of here. <laughs> No, we love no. the audience because they show up for us for the That's... 339 weeks that we've been doing it. I don't know. I, I just hear enough clips to tell myself to go fuck off. So uh, I, I, I sometimes I give it back. Okay. How about this for a deal? We finish up the show and do it like we're supposed to. And then when we finish, we'll fuck ourselves off. There you go. Well, separately nah, in our own separate that's... houses and then have a good night's sleep. That's what I usually do. But okay, let's do it again. Yeah. What a plan. <laughs> why, let's do it. Why Why argue with what works? All right. Fade to black. Uh, the first 20 minutes, we start out, um, a dude, he falls asleep while watching a bunch of old movies. Uh, you can tell life's not going the greatest for this guy. When you're wearing your suit jacket and uh, a sport coat and uh, a fedora, but no pants, life didn't go that life is not going the best for you he's right also now. dressed he's also dressing himself like the main characters of the movies he's obsessively watching as well this is true but that comes later this is just kind of a standard thing he uses to watch movies in well yeah he's wearing the coat and everything but like his favorite movie he's trying to emulate that outfit yeah as he's watching uh, it still anyway the next day his quote-unquote aunt is yelling at him for wasting his brain on all these movies we find out that his mom was his dan uh, was her 
dance partner and that giving birth to him killed her apparently and then she blames him because when he would one night uh the babysitter had to call her home uh while she was out with some men or just out whatever and uh she got in a car wreck and now she's a paraplegic so she blames him for that even though you know he was just a little kid yeah he Auntie ruined is his, not the best person he ruined his quote-unquote mother's dance uh yeah. career and then ruined his quote-unquote auntie's dance career because of the car crash coming home but yeah, it's to- it's toxic as fuck oh yeah this relationship makes me feel like my dad and i can probably hash shit out you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah right <laughs> like my mom and i are gonna be just fine because i saw this film you know what i mean yeah right yeah no i get you um then they they have a very terse breakfast and he leaves for work and throughout the whole breakfast he slips in and out from being himself it to taking on a character from one of the many movies he watches. Yeah, it's like he's doing impersonations, but at this point, it feels as though it's just a guy goofing off and having a good time and quoting his favorite movies. Exactly. Which yeah. which I did at this age, like a ton, and I still do, like at my age currently, a ton. This is yeah, not I mean, that bizarre. We literally just did that at the beginning of this fucking show. <laughs> right. Impressionating and all of that kind of stuff of a character that you love. When you're a movie buff or a fanatic or whatever, this is not all that bizarre of behavior no i i mean i can quote movie lines like a motherfucker it's it's kind of what i do it's one of my only personality traits which (laughs) tells you why i don't have many friends (laughs) exactly so like this is not all that bizarre for a movie buff to be this obsessed and this single focused and this single-minded on this kind of stuff this is us this guy right now as we're seeing it so far is us as the movie fanatic watching a movie be about a movie fanatic okay at work he has a boss who yells at him and uh but then we see the boss has has a bad heart he needs pills so that's definitely a foreshadowing for everything having seen Uh, this and watched this particular scene what is your over and under bet that this was an influence on the walk joker oh yeah um what i'm talking about is our main character specifically being put upon for the entirety of his life until he cannot take it anymore and they break oh yeah i mean it very it very well could, yeah. Uh, have I, been the, the shitty again, place of work, the shitty way of life, the dealing with the mother, everything that happens in Hawk Joker. Yeah. Hasn't there been so many of those things though? Like, <laughs> this kind of right. I'm not trope I'm, about a guy. Who, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that they ripped it off. All I'm saying yeah. is that it is it's so the same type of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so fundamentally similar in its fashion that that film is God. not as breathtakingly fresh as everyone it, says it is. It, it, and I thought you were talking about originally, like, hey, the the one guy who you see who's kind of an asshole but has a bum ticker or some shit like that. That's always such a trope, too. Whenever you see it, you're like, well, you know that guy's going to die. <laughs> that guy's not living to the end of this movie. Right, to the point when it shows up in Better Call Saul, I'm like, well, they did set up yeah. that the guy had a stroke, I guess, so we have yeah. to pay that off. Exactly, right? So, I mean, fun time. So anyway, then we cut to a police station, and actually, that's going to be our first clip. There's a list of the uh, Jewish offenders you're gonna meet first bunch of real beauties should all be locked up the judge hand them over to you well by giving them jobs to pay back their debt to society makes a hell of a lot more sense than jailing them at the taxpayers expense wouldn't you say Bullshit. captain they're still waiting for you at roll call i'll, I'll prove that all to right you. rogers i'll be right there okay what i said i'll prove it to you listen i'm required to give you some space and you got about six months to make this whole thing work now how do you plan on doing that First of all, by by gaining their trust. Oh, well, I like that. I like that. Gain their confidence, and uh, we nail them with the information you get, right? 
No way, Gallagher. My material's strictly confidential. Well, that's Hey, you want to come in here, please? You know, Moriarty, for an Irishman, you got a real thick skull. Ann Oshambault, Dr. Moriarty. How do you do? I've heard a lot about you. Where? Never mind, never mind. Just show him the results, will you? Oh, well, incidentally, Irish, uh, we're a little short on parking spaces. That's okay, Captain. I ride a bike. Oh, Jesus. Conservation crook on top of everything. Are you another cop that doesn't believe in my program? I don't know enough about it yet. Well, at least you're willing to give me a chance, which is more than Gallagher. Gallagher's all right. He's just trying to be a tougher cop than his dad was. Yeah, what happened to dad? He got shot to death by some doped-up kid in a dark alley. Well, here's your new home. He used to be the drunk. Not exactly a place to counsel San Francisco housewives, is it? How'd you know about that? Oh, I know everything about you, Dr. Moriarty. It's all in your file. Oh, anything incriminating? No, no. The FBI finally closed their political file on you. But your personal file was fascinating. Oh, yeah? What did it say? Well, let's just say that it was definitely interesting enough for me to want to meet you. Now, here you are. In the flesh. Congratulations, everyone. Tim Thomerson is in the house. Yeah, welcome. With quite an impressive stash, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's a hell of a that's a hell of a stash, man. And he rides a bike, so you know he's all hippie like, you know. I really enjoy neoliberal Tim Thomerson characters. I really do, because he does it so well. He lampoons it, but at the same time gives it a sort of love and respect when he does those kinds of characters, you know? Yeah, and you can tell this character that he's playing has a lot of flaws itself for being that neoliberal. Yeah, he's definitely got his issues, but um, we'll we'll deal more with when we when we get him. As soon as you see Tim Thomerson, you know that the level of acting is going to have to come up a notch. Yeah, everyone's going to have to step it up to to overcome that. Yeah, because he gives it his all, and it doesn't even matter if he's working for Charles Band or not. <laughs> like he's yeah, just right. going to give everything for every time he shows up on screen. <laughs> yeah, this is a fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um. Then we cut to two ladies, they're running down the beach, and they're talking. One's a blonde, who somewhat looks like Marilyn Monroe, and she's talking to her friend about her career, and they're just kind of having a a fun conversation. Really doesn't actually go anywhere, uh, but it's just to set up that we are going to be meeting this blonde uh, later on. Uh, then we cut to uh, uh, the main character. His name's Eric. He uh, meets up with uh, a surprise, a Mickey Rourke sighting. <laughs> it's the first time we've had a Mickey Rourke sighting in any of our movies. Yeah, I think so. And it's definitely 300 with... and some episodes. The first Mickey Rourke sighting. Yeah, we never got around to doing Angel Heart for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they, uh, they're talking. Mickey Rourke's hanging out with a buddy of his. And they uh, they kind of give Eric a little bit of shit. They're bullies. Uh, they our... are straight up they're asshole bullies. bullies. Yeah. And that's our next clip. Hey, Richard. Settle this with you. What was the fat man's name in the Maltese Falcon? That's easy. Okay, okay, what is it? What do you give me? Hey, come on, man. We ain't got all day. What was it? It's Casper Gutman. Yeah? Listen. Lucky. I got one for you guys. Only it's going to cost you money this time. Yeah, which the bit? Casablanca. Yeah, I know they're filmed backwards and forwards. I've seen it 50 times. Great. Only you got to come up with the answer in 48 hours, or you pay me 20 bucks each. All right, no sweat. Well, what do we get if we get it right? I'll give you 50. I think it's a trick. No, 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 wait, wait. 
Only no fair looking at the uh, print or reading the script in the meantime. Hey, you know I know that film better than anybody. You sure this isn't a sucker bet, Binford? It's no tricks. The answer's in the film. So put up or shut up. It's a deal. It's a lot of dough, but it's a deal. Right? What was Rick's full name? You mean Rick, uh, who owns the Cafe America? No. The Bogart character? Yeah. It's a cinch. Wait a minute, I got it on the end of my tongue. It's, uh... Take your time, Richie. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know it like I know my own name. I cut out the second half of that because it, it, it's not good. So <laughs> Yeah, it becomes even more apparent how much of bullies and assholes these guys actually are. Yeah, they, they call him a derogatory term for someone with special needs. and It's just not good. Well, they also imply, too, that he is a homosexual by using it in a very derogatory term and or making references like they do things with their hands, like to like when he's not looking at them in his oh, direction yeah. and shit like that. There's a lot of visual clues in this film. It's extremely uh visual movie for certain and if you're not really paying attention to everything visually speaking you're not watching all of the characters because all of the actors in this do an excellent job of giving so much for the camera this is a really well produced film in that aspect where you can be very much aware of the craft that's going on while you're watching it and particularly in this scene like you can tell that mickey rourke's got something here for sure yeah you know and i'm not just talking about his original face i'm talking about like his acting ability you can tell you can tell he's got uh he's got talent he's gonna go places yeah the man definitely has charisma and screen presence even in just this bully role i'm fascinated by him where i want to be like dude come on leave the guy alone like i want to give him a chance i don't immediately want to beat him about the face and ears for picking on someone yeah exactly i want to be like oh you know it it originally started that you know he was like hey i i just want to you know answer one of these trivia questions for us you know like settle an argument but then they they went and turned into a couple assholes. Yeah, like immediately. Yeah, like at first I was like, oh, maybe they're just going to be his buddies. But uh, I should have known better because this is obviously not a the main character has a buddy movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his lack of friends are what lead to his ultimate downfall, mentally speaking. Yes. Well, anyway, Eric, uh, later on, he gets some food, and he ends up talking to the blonde lady from earlier, from the beach. Uh, you know, he comments that she looks like Marilyn, he, uh, that she looks like Marilyn Monroe, but, uh, and her friend, she's kind of mean to him and shit like that, and, but she's enamored by it. She, she thinks he's sweet. She thinks he's a nice guy. She even and, says that she think, thinks he's kind of cute. Yeah, um, thinks he's kind of cute, and she's like, hey, let's, what, can you give me a ride? And he's like, yeah, sure. He's got this little Vespa to, you know. But, uh, I, I do want to. I want to back up to when he actually oh, tells her yeah. that she thinks, or he thinks he that she looks like Marilyn. I really like that yeah. moment that they have where he says, "Did anyone ever tell you that you look just like?" And then they both the the girls at the same time, the ladies yeah, say Marilyn. simultaneously, "Yeah, we know." That's well, how first, they respond. Let's, let's let's make this mention is also the creepy scoot over the fucking uh 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 <laughs> diner stools that he does, and they totally notice it, and it was just the weirdest fucking thing. And I felt like half this movie makes 
me cringe so bad. Not because it's badly acted or anything. It makes me cringe because the, the main character is awkward and put into awkward situations already. And awkward situations when you're already an awkward person fucking sucks. And watching them fucking sucks. And I, we also do have to kind of comment too specifically about Dennis Christopher, the actor who plays Eddie in this. Yeah. He's absolutely excellent at holding on those awkward moments and knowing how to purse his lips or change his face or just do something to keep everyone's attention, but just to draw attention to the fact that things are just that much more awkward. And he plays that masterfully as he's sliding because the way he's doing it is he's trying to look like he's being all sly. And he looks around and sees if anybody notices. And the girls notice, the ladies notice, they giggle, but they're kind of charmed by it. So they just kind of like like let him think that he's pulling it off. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? But like there's people that are, there are other people in the diner that are watching him do it. And they're like you and I where they're like, dude, come on, fuck off. Stop that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, motherfucker. It's really uncomfortable. It truly is. And I'm glad that you commented on it first because a lot of this movie is watching Eric in his life and feeling a kind of sympathy for him that you didn't think was possible no matter how much horrible shit that he does and that also yeah. is what reminds me of the Joker yeah yeah I get, yeah you're right it's so weird I was like where have I seen him no I've seen him no I've seen him forgot it <laughs> yeah he has Eddie fucking casting back in it yes yeah yeah um, and he was really good at being awkward there too that's yeah, why yeah, he was him. very awkward yeah I mean he plays awkward Awkward. Great. And not just awkward, but like he immediately draws sympathy from you with his yeah. facial expressions too. Like uh -huh. you just immediately feel sorry for him. There's something about the way that he emotes that just pulls that right out of you. And the, yeah. it works perfectly as Eddie, when he plays it in it, um, for me, like that's where I remember him the most and seeing him in this, I mean, he is just let loose to do as he will as an actor. And you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he, he yeah, ladies, you just said it, but yeah, be somebody who's also fucking awkward and hates awkward situations and I just cringe throughout this whole movie which means it was done well like hard cringe well that's why I think a lot of the awkward British comedy where they have people that are just in these situations where like everyone's just sitting there like oh god this is painful it makes me cringe so much I watch it for the show but I watched it just for my personal life because I I'm already uncomfortable enough in almost any given situation I don't need to be that way though I'm just sitting at home <laughs> See, I have a weird uh, opposite reaction to it. The more awkward of a character that I'm watching, the more I feel for them, and the yeah. less I start to have my own anxieties tweaked. Oh, that's weird. See, I'm I'm the exact opposite. Yeah, well, no, like, you I've... you identify with the character to the point where you are taking on the awkwardness yourself. So this had to that's be really a fact. painful watch for you. Like I said, the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, was a painful watch, and I did it because I just heard such good things about the movie, and it was great, but it was fucking painful. <laughs> well, I would submit to you that since these are very similar parallel storylines, yeah, um, that I this totally painful. Yeah, I could totally see where this would hurt you, and I could see where this might even hurt you more in some cases. Dude, I had to pause it to walk away because I just got so awkward I need a break. <laughs> wow, I can't wait to start talking about those moments. Let's keep going. All right, we're in one of those moments right now. Him hitting, talking to the girls in that diner, just fucking painful. Just painful. Yeah, because he's trying to rely on movie quotes and talking about Marilyn specifically. And also, he talks to her like she is Marilyn Monroe. Right, and she likes that, but I don't think that it's... either her or her friend get that he specifically actually thinks it's 
it's at this point we as an audience realize our anchor point main character yeah. is essentially an unreliable narrator, if you will, where his grasp on reality is nil and void. And he's not just quoting movies, he's living them. And it's ah, it's that's w- funny. It's just w- like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Right. It's you can't trust his narrative. With this exact moment where he starts acting as if she is Marilyn, talking yeah. to her as if she is Marilyn, and just like, like he tells her how much he enjoyed her in like a movie. And you're just like, oh, dude. Right. And it's it's at this point when you're like, oh, no, no. Okay, this is his love of film is an extension of his not wanting to deal with reality and trying to escape the world around him. And he is really far removed where he is convincing himself that he just came across Marilyn Monroe and can speak with her. Like, that's basically how he is reacting. And it's really uncomfortable. You are not wrong at all because you were watching a man who has lost touch with reality and is having a moment where he is having a somewhat of a break, believing that he is talking with Marilyn Monroe and no one but us as an audience notices it. And it's really masterfully done as as far as the craft work in this is put together. Yeah. Like he he said, what what song did you and -and so-and-so dance to in this one movie? It's just like, dude, stop, stop it, stop. The longer it goes on, the more charmed she is by it, the less they realize that he's not doing this as like a plaything to come on to her. He legitimately thinks she is Marilyn and it's, it's just too late. And the more awkward it gets, the finally they kind of leave, right? Like yeah. that's, that's how it ends is they leave the diner and that's the only way the awkwardness goes away for like a second. Yeah. Well, all right. So he gives her a ride in this convo they have on the bike. It's almost like he's back to reality. Now he's asking her about her real life, you know, and they kind of talk about each other's like neither one really knew their parents, all this kind of stuff. And, and it, this becomes a very normal conversation while they're on this Vespa and they decide later on that night they're gonna meet up for a movie they're gonna watch a movie and uh that actually ends that first 20 minutes so a lot of jam-packed in that first 20 minutes yeah we actually see him have his first full-fledged psychotic break there at the diner which goes relatively unnoticed because they think he's just trying to charm them as we discussed and it's a non-violent break yeah and you can kind of see when he gets back to the bike with her you can kind of see him coming back from realizing that she's not Marilyn she's just this really nice girl who looks like Marilyn and um that's when he's you know he's giving her a ride and everything and she asks about the bike and then she's asking him about him living with his parents and stuff so she's asking questions about him that are anchoring him back to reality and i think that's where he totally definitely comes back is he has to answer her questions earnestly so he has to think about what it is that she's asking and therefore the reality is there for him to touch you know yeah agreed um and and i think that um the the main reason that he had that psychotic break is i don't want to call it a psychotic break but that break with reality when he saw her is i think that him escaping into movies as he obviously does where he does not live his life he lives the movie like by quoting the dialogue he is literally just spending his life pretending he is in that movie yeah that's true yeah like that's that is what he is doing and i think that seeing a woman that looks so much like marilyn monroe to him in the real world put him in this moment where he could make his real world feel like he does when he's watching movies pretending to be in them yeah yeah and it, almost like seeing her out in the real world gives him validation it's it's like a triggering moment where um whatever is going to happen with his psyche to where it fractures like we're going to see it happen later on yeah. it, it definitely the first major crack is speaking with her here at the diner and the way that he behaves even the way he's scooting across the seats and trying to be nonchalant about it that is a fucking bit he's doing from an old-timey silent film or something like that like it's kind of like buster keaton charles chaplin kind of routine 
routine the way yeah, that he's moving. Like that. But the problem is he's doing this old timey routine that was done in a black and white silent film, right? That was obvious that he was moving over for the audience to see, but nobody else would notice. And he thinks that's just how it's done because he's that lost in reality. And what he's actually doing is moving over like a serious creeper at them, you know? Yeah, but. If your reality was his reality, would you even want to live in it? <laughs> Probably not. No, I can't say that I blame him considering how he was raised. And I mean, it's obvious, like, let's just unpack that a little bit, right? Um, mm-hmm. The aunt slash um, dancer partner of his mother or whatever at this point, the quote unquote aunt, quote unquote dancing partner lady, um, she very clearly blames Eric for everything bad that has happened in his mother's life and her own. She is constantly browbeating him. She gives him absolutely no privacy at all she's always up in his shit she's always fucking around with his room just breaking in at any moment and belittling him and badgering him he is very clearly set up in a very norman Bates situation currently with the woman who apparently has raised him from a very young child blaming him for his mother's untimely death blaming blaming her for her own life her for her life it, that's she blames him yeah and his so, and his mother's and, untimely death is, is what yeah. she's saying the whole time like he's been raised his whole life to believe that it's his fault that his mother's dead and you know it's his fault his father never stuck around yeah and it's also his fault that she is crippled because he was sick and she had to rush home to see him yeah or it's it's his fault she's in the wheelchair yeah jesus yeah i mean so she's been doing this clearly his entire life his only escape is in movies she wanted to be in movies she wanted to be an actress and a dancer and all of these things and you think that she would be able to share some of the joy that he has in film but instead she comes to resent how much he loves it yeah and it's basically like because it brings him some kind of joy she wants to squash that from his life and remove it from him as well and i mean like this auntie also clearly is charging him rent and a bunch of other things too um because like he never has any money he doesn't have any clothes because he blows it all on all of this stuff and she's basically like telling him he needs to sell it because something is due or something like that or, or getting on his case about some of that stuff at the beginning so basically like he has to pay for a lot of shit so if this is someone that he is supposed to be a ward of how long have they been forcing him to work to make his own key well, and i and i think yeah he definitely all his money goes to her yeah that's definite because we'll see later he has to take out a small loan from her yeah, that gets weird too yeah right 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 and, uh, we haven't gotten into that that side of the dynamic yet yeah. but there is already some serious dominating controlling abusive both mentally and somewhat physically because she does strike him with stuff a few times here and there and it's yeah. not hard to believe that she hasn't fucking hit him with something before you yeah. know it's not hard yeah, to believe right. that no at all shit. but it's coded so well in just their conversations there's so much stuff that you can unpack and so much psychological things and just some of the dialogue that they have here that I feel very confident saying all the stuff that I've said even though they didn't show a fuck all of any of it it's just you can tell in the dialogue yeah I agree I I completely agree Jesus we're like an hour into it and we're not even 20 minutes into the movie I don't think we're hitting the news tonight yeah I don't think we're hitting news tonight well I mean once we get past this next 20 minutes it's going to be a sharp slope down. That's true. There's a I lot really of got, action. Well, yeah. It's very front heavy left. with dialogue. It's, it's, it's very funny. I, and I want to get into this for an hour and 42 minute movie. That first 40 minutes 
goes not slow, but it's it's just it's it's a slower pace. And after that first forty minutes, that next hour zips away. I would definitely say that this first twenty to forty minutes is yeah. a build up in pressure and awkwardness, and yes. and just basically showing you more and more of just how rotten life is for Eric. So I almost yeah. called him Eddie because he was Eddie Casabank. <laughs> <laughs> how uh, horrible life actually is for Eric, and you're building sympathy in this first twenty minutes, and it is it's super front loaded with heavy dialogue and character setup, which is all acted wonderfully. Um, uh, and really, really done well. And the acting throughout the whole of the film is excellent, don't get me wrong. But I just really feel like the way that they set up this world and the, the, the richness of all the characters, it's very clear that the actors worked out a lot of stuff. Um, specifically, yeah. and I know I saw an interview with Dennis Christopher, and this is the last thing I want to talk before we get into the next 20, where he was talking about all of the things that the director of the film allowed him to do. And Dennis Christopher played Eric in case you yeah. were, you, you forgot what, yeah, <laughs> who yeah. I was talking about there. Uh, and so he was talking with Vernon Zimmerman, who is the writer and the director, and they really kind of flushed some things out and did some things with the characters. And from some of the other interviews that I did see um, upon completing the film and just kind of watch some of the actor interviews here and there as well, the other actors mentioned that as well. And they kind of talk about, how they were able to change the dialogue and they, they move some things around. Um, and the Marilyn O'Connor character was actually fleshed out and given more to do. Um, and there's more dialogue between the ladies and things like that. So the actors actually came to the director and gave him ideas and they went with it. And you can see where this collaboration created a much more rich and dense film than what we probably would have gotten without that. Because the, yeah. the characters are all fully formed and they have lives and the dialogue pretty much drops you in and tells you everything you need to do because the actors really know how to sell their characters. And I mean, it's all set up in this first 40 minutes that we're going through. And this is the first 20 of it. And I, I don't think we really need to dig in about that much further than this because that's like a first impression kind of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm ready to move on if you are. All right. Sweet. Well, the next 20 minutes we start out with um, the social worker guy, he's playing a harmonica in his little office there, uh, and doing blow. All the while, the lady police officer is watching him. Um, later on, they end up in the sack together. Okay, um, props to that lady officer for not arresting him for doing a bump at his office in a police yeah. station, but rather chooses to ride that coke-addled dick. <laughs> she really did. She rode it, and, uh, not only that, they're under the covers, right? They come out in, like, the traditional movie sense or other covers, they get dumb fucking, they come from uh, the covers. He already has a box of Ritz on him. Yeah, they have a box of Ritz, like the remote the control for the crackers. TV, and like a bottle of water or a some shit? A bottle of booze. No, yeah, it's, it's booze. a bottle of that's, booze, yeah. That's why, I believe it's wine. Yeah. So he has a bottle of wine, Ritz crackers, and the remote to the TV. That's all under the covers. They didn't reach for it and grab it off nightstands. They were holding that. That shit was actively being held while there was lovemaking. Or, just hear me out here. Alright, all right. They finished. That stuff was kicked to the end of the bed and we just see them coming back up through the covers together after they finished yeah i like the i like the idea that fucking there's just a box of ritz right there <laughs> in the bed I, i'm not sure Wait, how they then, would then he looks at they looks at her in his coke-addled mind and goes listen baby when i'm done i don't like pillow talk or cuddling but daddy needs his snacks when he's done no that did not happen what he actually said <laughs> is wow i'm really worn out babe and then immediately turns on the tv and they <laughs> snuggle eat ritz crackers drink wine and like apparently they're both fully yeah, yeah. satisfied but but when they the part we didn't see they, they strip you know they take down the covers off the bed they're getting ready for some action she's like there's a bottle of wine on the bed he goes yeah you know i need to stay hydrated what's with the box of ritz 
Daddy likes your snacks in bed. So, I mean, I think that's what happened. Just don't worry about it. Just keep them close. I'd like to have them on me right when I'm done. (laughs) Matt Psyop, armchair (laughs) directing a film decades later with his own weird shit added in. That's what you do all the fucking time on this show. Right, but this is your first instance of it, so I have to call (laughs) it out. Uh, All right, so... um... Anywho, uh, then we cut back to Eric, and um, he's actually checking out Marilyn at her work. She works at a skate shop. And as she's sitting there, there's this guy who's trying to hit on her, but she's not really paying attention. And she gets sent a poster of Marilyn Monroe, and it said, From a Secret Admirer. We all know that was from Eric. Yep. So that night, Eric gets ready for his date, and he has to borrow money from his aunt. And he says, you know, I'll pay you back at the, you know, interest rate, whatever. And she goes, good. And then she goes, also, come home right when you're done, because she wants a massage right away that night. Yeah, you're going out with a girl, but you have to come home and massage your aunt right away. Yeah, yeah. And not even your blood aunt. This is not even a married aunt. This is just someone who calls herself your aunt because she decided to raise you. As far as you know, yes. As far as you know. Yeah, of course. Um, so then he's waiting for her, but at the movie theater. But we see she's out at dinner with that other dude. They're just talking. And as they eat and stuff and all that, and we cut back and forth between him waiting, then back to her. And all of a sudden she realized, oh shit, she forgot her date that night. And she feels really bad. And so she uh, gets a ride down to the movie theater. Um, she tries to go meet him. She gets there, but it's too late. He's already gone. At one point, he's hanging on a bus stop. And he asks the lady to stand there when the next bus is coming. But this is not a lady waiting for the bus. It's a lady waiting for, you know, uh, she's a lady of the night. And she's extremely and, rude to him for being yeah, so yeah. naive, too. Then he's like, I have $10. And she tells him to go, you know, jack himself off for $10. And then she gets in a car and drives away so yeah she she costs him um for for nothing other than you know be a little too innocent and probably cheap <laughs> i mean he didn't know what 10 bucks was gonna get him he was obviously naive you know what i mean yeah like That's and she, true, didn't, yeah. she didn't have to be so accosting to him he was a sweet guy to her he was legitimately treating her okay it's not like he'd said something rude to her right off the bat oh no it's true that's very true. It's just that everybody is so off-put by this guy. The instant they're around him, they're uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, that night, he's watching his movies, and it's very loud, and his aunt comes in, tells him to turn it down, and what is he doing? He's got to go to work, and he's like, wait, no, this is the best part of the movie he was watching. Uh, she doesn't care, and she accidentally, though, knocks over his projector, and he's kind of freaking out about it then she goes into another room where it's a lot of his collectibles and she's like this is a mess you gotta clean this up she's literally screaming screaming her chair malfunctions so he comes up behind her and he pushes her right down the stairs killing her and he completely loses it and that ends that 20 minutes before we go to the next 20 minutes where it's going to get nuts now because he just got his first kill uh it's 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 important to note that he becomes a movie character who does this exact same thing to murder a woman yeah in a wheelchair uh he does the lines of the movie as he's doing it does the laugh as he's pushing her and then when he shoves her down the stairs to kill her i think that the reality of what he has just done snaps too on him. Yeah, and, I think so. And I think that because 
because this break was after being disappointed by Marilyn, after uh, being home and having to do whatever, and that 10 bucks not even really doing anything and probably still having to do the massage. Then she accosts him like she does when he's trying to watch the movie and escape how horrible he is feeling. She destroys the one thing he has for escape and immediately accosts him even further. And that's why he snaps. I mean, that's so obvious. And the essentially matricide, because even though to him at this point, he this woman is just, you know, not even a biological aunt. She's also this matriarch. He's known her since he was a child. She still represents the closest thing to a mother he's ever had. And that's this lifelong abuse and misuse that basically ends in a the equivalent of a matricide. But even though it's not a biological matricide, it's definitely a nurturing matricide. But by having it end in that moment, and this is where he ends up being thrust, like you said, into the end of the film, this final hour. I mean, this is basically where the actual horror movie elements really kind of begin for everybody but Matt. All the weird, awkward shit that was happening beforehand, that was too much for Matt. Matt's actually yeah. now going to get comfortable moving forward. Now things are looking up for Matt Psyop. I'm ready to move on if you are. All right, cool. Uh, all right, well, we're at the aunt's funeral. The, uh, the, the, he talks to, uh, the, uh, the priest in charge. He wanted her buried next to Marilyn Monroe, but unfortunately that wasn't going to happen because there's just no plots open. Uh, so he takes her ashes home. Uh, then the mail lady dropping off mail and she sees her and like, oh, Eric, I, I saw a different name. You know, I heard about your aunt and saw a different name there. I didn't know if you were living there and he had changed his name to Cody. Also, his street sign has changed. Yes, and he kind of yelled at her about that. You know, yelled at the uh, the male lady. Yeah, he's You're doing like, lines from the movie, I think. So Cody Jarrett is, I think, the White Heat. Yeah. And that's like his favorite movie or whatever, and he's just basically decided to become Cody Jarrett, and I do believe maybe Cody Jarrett actually kills a woman the same way. Uh, I believe that might have been Cody Jarrett that did that killing. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know these movies that he's obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, right. So I really don't know what the other one was. Someone else out there knows and is probably cursing my name, and you know what? Shoot an email to me about it and we'll talk about it and I'll correct it later. And you'll and and we'll all just be okay. Right. But a lot of like what Eric's actions are and some of the more dramatic violent things that he ends up doing are actually more influenced by this character, Cody Jarrett. Absolutely. There's other movies that come into play as well. Yes, absolutely. But I would say his most violent moments are with Cody Jarrett. And this full break is essentially he can't be Eric anymore because of what he has done. So Eric's a murderer. Yeah, Eric can't deal with this. So he has to be. killed the only mother he ever knew. Right. So now Cody's going to have to take over and just basically do things for Eric. And I don't think we're ever really going to see a hundred percent Eric again. <laughs> no, no. I think the most we see a hundred percent of Eric will be uh, coming up here in a second and I'll tell you when. Let's do it. Awesome. So then uh, he decides to get dressed up as Bella Lugosi's Dracula. Which, by the way, the makeup was great. All of the makeup, yeah. everything, like all the characters that they they do for him are incredible. Absolutely, hands down. Yeah. Uh, really, really well done, uh, except for the mummy. But as I t- it turns out, they got a mummy costume that was terrible, and they, uh. they had to kind of make that on the fly. So when they built that on the day in a matter of hours before they shot it, it actually looks fucking incredible for what they did for an yeah. out-of-kit on the day. And it's perfect for the mummy for that era. So there we go. Uh. All makeup's well, covered, out. won't comment again. <laughs> then he goes out and watches as 
Dracula, watches uh, Night of the Living Dead at a theater. That probably had to be fun. Yeah, there's a bunch of other people in makeup as well, and I clocked two other Draculas in the show. Does that sound right yeah. to you? Yeah, I think about. I think it's about right. Yeah, it's definitely people who dressed up to go see the movie. There was like three, maybe four total Draculas, counting our dude. Yeah. So then later on, he breaks into Marilyn's apartment while she's in the shower. Uh, I believe Marilyn's a tad bit drunk. I believe Marilyn has a tad few substance abuse problems, much like the actual Marilyn Monroe. Uh, but as she showers, uh, he comes through almost like Psycho by the shower lid. They opens it up and she sees him. I don't think she can recognize who it is because it's, you know he's painted up as Dracula. And she starts screaming. And now here's where I think we see actual Eric because he kind of screams himself, drops what is just a pen. He goes, I just wanted your autograph. And he runs away. And that's not... Cody, that's definitely Eric. And that's probably the most Eric we see, uh, the last most Eric we see for the rest of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I think that also this may not have even been something that actually happened because I think she would still recognize Eric regardless of how much drugs she was on. I think he was fantasizing and well, he was I, picturing Marilyn actually on drugs because that's what Marilyn was in real life. Uh, was on drugs maybe, a lot. I mean, as I took it as it was real. He just went there to see her and she was so hammered and then in a shower so water you know in your eyes and everything and then he's done up in makeup and she just knows someone's out there so she's not really looking and he runs away real fast yeah either way um either way i mean uh, yeah the entirety of this sequence is only there just to get this actress naked pure and simple pretty much but up until the point where eric startles her in the shower it's a thank you movie when she gets startled by eric then it's no longer a thank you yeah because that's not that's not right yeah there you go um he, then he finds the actual, the, the prostitute who was kind of mean to him. And he kind of goes into his Bella Lugosi impression and she gets freaked out and runs from him. And he's chasing after her. And as she's running, she trips over a wooden, like, pick, uh, uh, you know, pick a fence and it breaks and part of it impales her in the neck, killing her. Uh, at this point, he goes full Dracula and starts taking her blood and putting it in his mouth. Okay. We have to back up here for a second, just real, real quick. Uh, yes. he misquotes a couple couple of lines from dracula um it's actually listen to them the children of the night what yeah. music they make and he says listen to them the children of the night or something along those lines where he changes that a little bit but uh-huh. he's also not doing like a hundred percent bella lugosi because they're using black and white footage of um christopher lee's dracula but there wasn't really a black and white christopher lee movie that i know of as dracula it just looked like they took a hammer footage from a hammer film and turned it black and white um uh, it could be yeah yeah they didn't really they didn't really use Bella Lugosi footage because I don't think they could, but they could get the uh, the, the hammer Dracula easier, you know, or, or for whatever reason. That's why I think I, they did that. Um, and when she falls and hits her neck, I think we might have a brief moment where this is still Eric just trying to play a prank on her. Um, and maybe he actually did just want the autograph. Maybe it's still Eric here at this point because when he chases her uh, and, and he was doing the Dracula thing, she gets killed. And this next accident, when it's still Eric, I think this this accident accident of her falling and, and you know getting her neck gouged on the fence i think is the moment where eric breaks with reality again because first he touches the blood to confirm that she's dead because he's actually i think checking her pulse gets blood on his fingers tastes her blood and then goes to drink it like i think it's a very it's very important to note those steps because he is basically making sure that he just killed her then he tastes her blood and so he's going to make it that the character did it not him and therefore absolving eric of the guilt of it again and this i think is the point of no return for Eric for sure where we no longer see him as just Eric after this. Yeah. There are probably little flashes of Eric 
but it's a lot of Cody in there, if not 100% Cody. Yeah, and if it's not Cody, it's this other part it's of the, Eric that's bent or on it's revenge. Or one of the character. Yeah. yeah. Or it's a character he's pretty going to be from a movie, because it's not even Cody sometimes. Sometimes it's just a character from a movie. But very little of actual Eric is seen after this. No, it's just a constant stream of movie quotes where he is these other characters, and he cannot be Eric from this point forward, because Eric is responsible for two deaths when yeah. he was just trying to defend himself and or stand up for himself and maybe get a little revenge and scare somebody back. Exactly. He's messed up so much to this point where we don't really get Eric back ever again. Yeah. <laughs> really. Well, then the next day, the bullies are giving Eric some shit, and he says he wants the $40 they owe him because they never got it. They tell him to go fuck off, and they leave. Uh, so that night, uh, he sees working on a mask while watching a Western. So uh, we cut to Mickey Rourke and his buddy. They're on the boardwalk playing games, but they want to go get laid. So they're kind of walking around, and they run into Eric dressed up as uh, as a cowboy. Hop along Cassidy. Hopalong Cassidy. Uh, he throws a gun to Mickey Rourke's character, and they pretend to do a draw, but of course Mickey Rourke's character's gun is empty. Then he tells him to dance, and he kind of shoots around, and it freaks everyone out, and the friend runs away, but Mickey Rourke stays. He's like, hey, well, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to you. And he says, Eric, just like, fuck off. And Eric shoots and kills Mickey Rourke. Um, uh, do need to talk about just a couple things real quick in that. Yeah. Uh, the lighting on how it's done as a silhouette to sell it as like what Hopalong Cassidy would basically look like. The creepiness of the mask and the way that he performs the dialogue and oh, sounds apparently just like him from, yeah. from what I what I gather. Um, and, and basically like has this old timey look the way they shot it and everything it feels like we're inside we're seeing this from eric's brain like basically like we're seeing this from his perspective for the most part because it's extremely cinematic and it's lit so beautifully to make him ever so much more scary but it's really interesting that mickey rourke's character and his friend don't react to it being as terrifying as what it fucking looks like to us yeah exactly right i see that and I'm not sitting there to converse with anybody. I'm fucking out of there. <laughs> right. Right. Like that walk and everything like that was absolutely yeah. terrifying. So that's, that's why it's f- enough for me. Thanks. I'm leaving. Right. That's why I feel like it's in, in the character's mind or, or what have you or, and all that. And again, uh, Dennis Christopher actually stated that he worked with the crew to try and make that as scary as possible. And I guess had a lot to do with the design of it. I don't. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like if, if he had as much to do with this as he states in the interview, like if that is a hundred percent true, then like he basically made this movie as good as it is. It's like mostly his work in, yeah, in right? pushing all of this. And I think like they gave him the leeway because he definitely is perfect for this character. Um, in this stuff, he is a hundred percent menacing. And the whole time, all you do is just feel sorry for him because he has to escape to these fantasy worlds, even in getting vengeance for himself and just cold blooded killing somebody. He has to pretend like somebody else is doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And he can't. It's just, it's so really fucking tragic, too. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Jesus. All right. So um, then uh, Eric and Mickey's friend, they leave the police station, and that's our final clip. You and Richie, even though I was his best friend. Cops are paid to suspect everybody and catch no one. Gallagher's just another flatfoot. What about that Moriarty character in his test? It's just a bunch of stupid questions. They even had Mr. Berger in here last night. And he's a nervous wreck, and he's got to go in the hospital next week for his operation. What operation? Bypass operation. His heart's worse, man. I didn't think he had one. How are they going to find Richie's killer? Bart. If you can't identify him, who can? See ya. You know, that, uh, that Benford kid was uh, a little strange. Yeah, he's 
seem harmless enough. Moriarty? What the hell are you trying to pull? We question all those CFS employees very carefully. Normal police procedure. Now, who the hell gave you the authority to test them? I cooked up this questionnaire to help flush out a suspect. Flush? That's exactly the right word for the way I'm feeling about your actions. For your information, this is the only real fucking piece of evidence that we have. I, I don't agree. Captain Gallagher, Moriarty's really got something here. Three of them tilted red. Eric Binford, Maria Valdez, Herman Maria Briggs. Valdez, the broad in the shipping department, is a killer? Oh, that's terrific. Thank you very much, Sherlock. Also, the newspapers think there is a link between the Dracula murder and this cowboy caper. One of the victims was a stock boy in an advertising firm. The other's a hooker. Now, where's the connection? It's obvious. We've got to stop this we killer from further acting hey, out his fantasy. Where the hell did you join the police force? Just trying to help out, Captain. Now, listen. I don't need any of your psycho tests to help me find a killer. And just in case you didn't notice, nobody's asking for your help. So knock it off. Captain... I know the human mind, especially the sick ones. Well, fuck the mind, okay? Keep your nose out of police business. You know, Archenbaum, I can't stand stupidity. Jerry. It's Archenbaum. I love how the cop chick corrects him at the end there. That yeah. is, <laughs> uh, real quick, that's the end of that twenty minutes, and again, like you said, that's our final clip. The end of that twenty, the end of that clip was literally at almost at fifty nine minutes and eleven seconds. So, like I said, we are now down to forty two minutes left in this movie, and it's about to go melt away. And by the way, this twenty minutes kind of melted away. There was one clip in there, and it's the last clip, but it kind of went fast, yeah. just because it was a lot of visual. Yeah, there's so much to do with the visual feast of this film absolutely yeah. um it it's cannot be heralded enough which is why i'm so grateful that i waited as long as i did to be able to see it in this version like the only way i could have seen it better is if i could have seen a print like you know a revival print at a theater somewhere you know oh yeah like that's probably the only way i would have gotten to be able to see this as well as i did because the first time watch on my projector absolutely wonderful i definitely have to talk about that here especially after the lighting with the whole hop along cassidy sequence where he he walks up it's absolutely terrifying the silhouette that they do the way they lit the mask even with the silhouette on the out the other when they do the close-up shots of him talking he's lit like a monster and it's absolutely terrifying uh the way that they do it where the guys aren't even taking him serious we're like we are actually terrified but they can't clearly be seeing it the way we're seeing it you know like and, yeah. and the way that they do this in these sequences even when he's the vampire earlier on that we were kind of talking about whenever he is envisioning the stuff he's actually recreating scenes where he'll do a jump and, and, you know, hiss. And then when the lady that was his victim was screaming, they were actually cutting back and forth to it looking almost the same with Christopher Lee and the victim for his vampire. And they did the same thing where they were showing, you know, some hop along Cassidy shooting and stuff like that. But this time, instead of showing the cutaway to the footage with hop along, they just basically had the shots of him feel like it was that old timey animation where he was moving all jerky and weird and talking talking that way and just doing a really good impression of what the guy would have looked like on film. And then when he started doing the shooting and stuff, it, it comes into reality, but like the fantasy element of that and the way that they they light it, the minute he actually starts shooting the guy, then he's actually there and the lighting's different and it's not all silhouette.
silhouetted and it's just him in his costume and it kind of breaks and drops down to the reality. I think that's what makes it that much more disturbing. Am I insane yeah. or did you notice that too? Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of noticed, uh, not as deeply as you did, but I noticed it. Yeah, like it, like they do that a lot where it's like the start of it and when they're cutting back and forth with the film aspects of it with his reality, um, we still get to see somewhat of what's actually happening. But as we go, that lessens and lessens because his grip of really realizing his actions lessens as it gets further out uh, as we're going. So that's just something I wanted to definitely draw attention to here. There are moments where um, you break with the fantasy and all the special lighting and stuff like that, and you just kind of see him as him doing. And it's usually like right when the killing actually happens, like they'll cut to it or they'll they'll show it in that way, shape or form. And it's what I it seemed to to happen for me. And that happens less and less where to the point where like by the time we're at the very end of it, we're aware of the fact that we're watching a movie about Eric. But at the same time, this is probably how Eric is picturing his final moments would look on film. You get, you get what I'm yeah, saying? Like, mind fuck. like, like yeah. I, f- I feel like they consciously push us into Eric's brain more and more and leave it there to where we're just as much inside of his reality. And like, he's writing his own movie by the end of it anyway. And I think the more lost he gets, the more we're with him. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I wanted to draw attention to it here because if we keep trying to talk about each stop along the way that we get there, we're going to be here for so much fucking longer. So I just, I needed to get it out of the way and talk about it now and I'm done. Yeah, all right. Fucking A. Um, so, all right, the next 20 minutes starts with Eric, he, he's hitchhiking, and he gets a ride from this guy in a really nice car. And they're driving, and the guy had scripts in his car, and, he, you know, Eric's talking to him, and he goes, yeah, I was an actor, now I'm a producer. And he kind of, you know, Eric goes over an idea he has for a movie, and the guy says, I think it's brilliant. He goes, I think you got a great idea going. Um, give me a call at the studio, and I'll, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll start working on it. And Eric's like, great, thanks. Eric gets home and he talks to his aunt's ashes about, you know, hey, we're going to be on easy street. And I told you we'd make it all that. We won't have to worry. And then he kind of has a breakdown where he tell- says how much it hurts. And he says, mom, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And it makes me think there's Eric again. We're, we're back to seeing Eric. When he's really confident, like when he was with the, the buddy uh, getting out of the police station. And he had that level of confidence talking to him. And the level of confidence he had talking to that movie producer. I don't know how much of Eric is there because Eric isn't a confident person. But that moment when he had that breakdown about, hey, mom, this hurts, this really hurts. I think that's Eric again, realizing all the shit he's done. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree, but it doesn't last very long. It's like he surfaces for a moment and then is shoved back down. And I think this confident, like, you know, really, like, powerful Eric is essentially Eric's interpretation of what Eric should be in the film of his life at this moment. It's it's Cody. At those moments. It's, it's gotta, that's gotta be Cody. It's Eric being Cody, but it's still like, it's Eric's version of what he should be filtered through the lens of like what, how Cody would react. But it's, it's Eric being Eric because if it's not Eric, um, being this confident version of himself, then he can't be Cody and know all the stuff that Eric knows. Like Eric's too far separated for that at this point. Whenever he goes into those other people, he's those other people. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? I so that, I, yeah. in this case, I, I just, I have this idea or this fixation that Eric 
Eric is pretending to be Eric in a movie about himself from the point that he has the full psychotic break. So it's not really Eric. It's just like Eric writing the version of him that he should be as he's pretending to be this. Like when he's talking to the guy, when he's actually being Eric, it's just like this character version of himself that he created. It's basically his version of Cody, but goes by Eric and is him. Yeah. It's like the, like me. Okay. The court psyops that I pretend to be whenever we are podcasting is not the court psyops who I actually am. But no, you're a lot worse, a lot more abusive. <laughs> right. No, I mean, right. not when the, the mic's off, it's all bullshit. <laughs> right, right. But the me that I aspire to be, who I try to project as court psyops on this podcast, is the part of me that I wish I could be. You know, like like who I wish I could be, or the more idealistic version of me, or the, the best version I can present for podcasting form. Get, yeah. Get it? But that's not the whole of who I am. So yeah. this, this is what I think Eric is doing, is it's this projected character, but instead of doing it um, to just kind of, you know, have fun and riff, like we do with podcasting he's doing it because he needs to present as this person because this is the only kind of person that people will sub- like accept but also this is the character in eric's life now because eric has got to be in a movie because all this horrible shit can't exist otherwise he can't let this be real yeah yeah fuck jesus christ there is a lot to this fucking yeah movie. like i said there is like the more you think about it the more you can fucking unpack and i've only fucking watched this once and i've already got all this shit going through my head i'm gonna be obsessed about this film for a while dude yeah i Fucking don't blame me. I, I want to forget this fucking film. Again, not because it was bad, but because it makes me feel fucking awkward. Yeah, because it was so successful at what it does, yes. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Then he kind of goes out, and he's kind of in a manic depressive state. Uh, he's taking pictures of Marilyn Monroe's uh, Marilyn Monroe's imprints in front of the Chinese theater. Um, and then he goes over uh, pics of her uh, at a at a shop, and he's trying to, and he buys a couple uh, pictures uh, of her. And then he's uh, getting dinner, and he gets into he goes, "Hey, you ever see uh, Marilyn Monroe come out of that place? Because it's like a studio." And he goes, "Marilyn." guy's been like, Marilyn Rose has been dead for years. And he gets all pissed. He goes, well, she isn't dead. And almost gets into a fight. And you're like, yeah, he's he's leaving a lot more than he usually is <laughs> yeah this is definitely if this is not a character in his head if this is who this is eric just lashing out because he's like you know he can't be in his fantasy world in these moments and he's just acting a yeah. little bit more crazy or whatever or whatever it is that he's doing like where he's more violent because he can't escape like whichever version of him this is this is a very dangerous and volatile I, version i think that version is cody that's cody he only knows what eric wants him to know in a sense and he so he comes up where eric sits there going wow you know i really wish marilyn monroe was alive all that to cody marilyn monroe is alive all those people are alive all those people in the movies they're all alive and and they're real movies are real real life's fake yeah okay so the eric that's the best version of himself that i've been talking about i think is the same version that you're just calling cody you know what i mean like so because i always i i separate cody as when he's doing the character of cody is actually cody but oh i gotcha but if you think that that character is basically all the same person or version of him, then I can't say no. I mean, that's definitely a possible thing, but I just kind of had those two separated, but I think we're talking about the same, like better version of him. It's just, or like the, the most cinematic version of him. And this being him at his lowest is probably him lashing out like this, because that's another cinematic version of him, what he would should be doing as that person, whether it's Cody or Eric's as a character in his own film, you know? Yeah. 
<laughs> whatever it is, it's fucking mind fucking. Yeah, right. It's just it's disturbing. <laughs> and really well done. Yes, of course. Very well done. Um. Well, anyway, then he gets at home and he yurks it to a pictures of Marilyn Monroe. Um, that was pretty graphic yurking, but there you go. Okay, so uh, on my projection screen, yeah, Batch was dead center when hand reached over top of underwear and cupped entirety of male genitalia and shook it yeah. at screen. Jesus. Not as traumatic as you would think it is for a straight man. Did you man feel like it was, were you like, it's coming right for us? <laughs> I mean, I'm just glad it wasn't a 3D film, I suppose. <laughs> Or at least 4D would have been much more uncomfortable for this sequence. Great. Now Court's pregnant. (laughs) Wow, that was a weird sidebar, but I'm not jumping on it. Uh, (laughs) But I do have to say that it's at least handled um, very tastefully. And the way that they do it is to emphasize his sadness and his loneliness. The things that he's saying as he is masturbating, staring at a life-size portrait of Marilyn hanging above his bed are really fucking disturbing. And if you listen closely to what he is saying, it is very violent. And he says some very misogynistic shit right before he pops. Believe it or not, if it wasn't so misogynistic, I was going to clip it, but it's all right. (laughs) And then immediately afterwards, like, he starts sobbing and starts acting like Eric again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, I mean, things just... He's he's losing. He's losing more than he's gaining. I knew I had to day. sort of describe the scene because you weren't going to. It was too uncomfortable for you. Yeah, no, yeah, that's just, that's no thing. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so uh, later he meets with his boss and they get into an argument because he took the company car without asking. And his boss is like, you're fired. And he goes, fuck you, I quit. And uh, that's what he also tells him. He goes, hey, I'm going to get married to Marilyn Monroe. And the boss is like, well, fuck off. And the whole time, it's really bothered me because the boss is eating a sandwich and talking with his mouth full. And that just is fucking grotesque. And I'm like, God, this fucking this director really just wants me to feel uncomfortable throughout the entirety of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's gritty as fuck. It feels yeah. very gritty. Yeah. And then he wants to go in because he has some limited print posters of that he owns uh eric they're there and he's like fuck you they're they're mine now and and they and he closes the door later on that night the boss is working on the fixing the books that apparently eric kind of you know fucked up on and he keeps hearing noises and he's starting to look up and eric shows up dressed as the mummy chases him and as the guy runs he has a heart attack and Tries to get his pills out, but he can't, and he dies. So Eric actively stops him from being able to take them. He steps on his arm right. at one point steps as on the mummy, arm. and then he kicks them away when his hand still reaches for them. Yeah, but, uh, you know, hey, that's that's... Don't be a dick to people when you have a bad ticker, I guess. I don't know. Oh, it, um, we also forgot to mention, because we were focusing in on so much other stuff, after the murders, um, specifically the gunshot one when he's Hopalong Cassidy and then what he does here as the mummy, he laughs yeah. in a very hysterical, insane Cody way. But yes. then it becomes sort of like this sad cackle towards the end when it peels off, and it is so unnerving. Yeah, it really is. It's just... Uh... It leaves you, again, uncomfortable. Yeah, you just, like, this film does such a great job of showing a heinous human being doing horrible things that you feel sorry for the entire time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's just, ugh. It's uncomfortable. Know, yeah, that's the only yeah. way to put it, is it just that is very literally the only way. Yeah. Um. So, uh, after the killing, after the boss death, uh, he's hanging out, and he sees on TV 
the actor who picked him up, giving him a ride, he's talking about Eric's movie idea and that he's he's making this whole new movie and all this new way of doing things. Well, Eric then calls the guy. He's like, hey, I saw you in the news talking about doing my movie. He goes, that's great. You know, I would love to, you know, let's work together and all that. And the guy pretends like he doesn't know him and says, nah, man, we don't take anything non-property and hangs up on him. Oh, and it's obvious in the interview the guy was taking credit for it anyway. Eric, yes. Eric's yeah. character is just too naive to realize that that's what was happening. Exactly. Well, anyway, it's that guy's birthday and he's kind of getting his hair done and, and uh, salon and opening presents and Eric comes walking in looking like a gangster from a 1930s film with a Tommy gun. I think this the is guy, also Cody from White Heat. Yeah, and he's not taking any, you know, the guy's not taking, the guy thinks it's a card, not taking it seriously, like a live card. Yeah, it's a singing telegram and, or some shit. And then, you know, Cody blows him away, kills him. and Violent uh, as fuck. Violent as fuck. And then that will lead into the final 20 minutes of the movie. All right. I just want to talk about the amount of bullet hits that they do in this sequence. He destroys an entire salon, like old school gangster style, showing off how many bullets a Tommy gun has that they can waste and still waste a dude with way too many fucking bullets. It's fucking hilarious. Like, it's a really cool sequence. I love how he tells everybody to get out. I love how he commands the scene. I love how he He talks to the bird, telling him he can give him whatever he wants, whatever. (laughs) Right. He said something about like he he does the line about oh you got pretty good pipes I could you know set you up at the club yeah. it's it's dialogue from the movie he does the entire sequence it's it's clearly from the, a, a film they don't cut away yeah. on this one like they do some of the other ones so I don't know what they're taking it from or 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 what have you but just the way that they do it it very clearly is like you see in all of these gangster films he all but yeah. says keep the change you filthy animal if you catch what I'm saying here pretty much yeah exactly yeah and the Tommy gun shit is amazing and when he fucking perforates the guy it goes on forever oh yeah he keeps putting bullets in the guy and i'm like jesus christ how many fucking shots do you have in a tommy gun this is amazing in my opinion the guy earned it yeah he tried to steal his idea this probably i think we may have almost seen eric come back for a moment to where maybe eric could get help if the guy actually was gonna make the movie with him like this was a moment where eric possibly could have been saved and we as an audience know that that's not going to happen and even eric goes too far to believe that it's going to happen and then when this happens we know for sure that there is no way out for eric like you kind of get the idea that eric has been writing this whole plot line the entire time like ever since since the would-be aunt died, this has been his plot the entire time. Like, this is what he was going to do. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. That's why I keep coming back to this uh, Eric making a movie of his life in his head. This is this is his movie. Like, he is literally doing these actions because in his mind, this is just a movie. Yeah, exactly. I agree. At least from this point forward, I, d- I believe he set up everything because he's ready to finish his movie. He knows what his ending is. And to him, murdering this guy is him finishing his movie. You get what, yeah. I- you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is this is the movie that he would have made, basically. Yes, exactly. And uh, But it sucks for, you know, for him because, yeah, he could have done something probably maybe special there. It'll sound like something that people want to see because Eric does know movies and uh, that's also taken from him. So, And once he gets healthy boundaries between his fantasy worlds and his actual reality, he can go off and create these wonderful worlds if this guy were to have actually helped him, but that's not going to happen. Exactly. Well, anyway, we start that final 20 minutes now. Uh, the uh, blonde and her friend, uh, Marilyn and her friend, they're walking and she's talking about how she has a job uh, for modeling. And her friend's like, like, eh, I'll go with you. That shit can get pretty weird, you know, so you don't trust any of that. 
Uh, Legit, a hundred percent, awesome conversation. Great that this was in a 1980 film. Yeah, yeah, right. And then all of a sudden, we see the cops are all at Eric's place. They find the free, you know, the fake street sign. How his names changed, and they're all kind of going crazy about it. But they also know Eric is the killer. They've found something that drew them to it, although they never say what. Uh, then we see the ladies that get to the studio, they have to press in some buttons and shit. They get in, the friend's like, hey, I think this is legit. This looks like a legit setup. So she leaves Marilyn there. She's like, yeah, this looks legit. You're fine. Maybe double check and make sure that, you know, the photographer's not going to do something sleazy when your friend's there by herself with him. Yeah, but no, that's... That's that's not what she. Thinks. Well, this is where the conversation they had earlier takes a tank because you have to stick with your friend until you know for sure they're going to be safe. I agree, but uh, apparently, uh, she 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 didn't feel like she needed to. Yeah, office um, look legit. Can abandon friend to be naked with stranger. Exactly. Yeah. So um, Marilyn then walks in, and Eric is all dressed up like he's a count, and he's now doing this whole count persona. Uh, the uh, we see the cops are talking, and we find out through their conversation that eric's aunt was his mother uh she got knocked up back in the time that it would have been a scandal so after she gave birth she came up with the whole story for everyone else that no 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 uh this is my nephew my dance partner had him and died in childbirth eric doesn't even know that this is the this is the case uh, we see Eric is drugging some champagne, and he's flirting with Marilyn, and she's kind of losing it, but she says, you know, I know who you are. The cops get a lead. They think they know where Eric is at the studio, and they leave. Uh, we see Eric and Marilyn are dancing. Um, and the cops are getting there. You can hear them, but it's quite obviously they're there because, you know, she's dancing because she's very drugged up. He gives her some more pills and grabs a gun and the therapist runs in first and he shoots the therapist right in the leg. Uh, he's able to get away with Marilyn and they still chase after him. Uh, they get to the Chinese theater and they enter it. More cops are on the way. The, the lady cop called in for backup. The therapist catches up to Eric and Marilyn, and he tries to reason with him, as Eric is kind of really disappointed there's no movie on the screen. I think it's almost like he thought it'd be like an escape, but there's no movie, so he's really mad. Then it looks like Marilyn actually gets through to him, saying, you you don't need this gun anymore. She's almost got the gun out of his hands. She's like, don't worry, just you're with me He now. lets it go, and she has a hold yeah. of it, and she, she almost had him, yeah. And then the therapist has to open up his big stupid mouth by telling her to run, which snaps Eric right back to. He grabs the gun and grabs her and they, you know, they leave that room. Uh, they head up to the roof where he gives her more drugs. And then we see the cops have the place surrounded sharpshooters. But even the, the chief is like, no one shoots him unless he shoots at us. I didn't recognize so no those honking pills, but I think they may have been quaaludes. I but there were quaaludes. I mean, it's fucking the seventies, right? Nineteen eighty. Yeah, that's still quaalude set in time. That's that's quaalude country. Welcome to it. Yeah, I'm. That's that's the okay. So it's a drug that makes her behave in a way that quaaludes were described that people would behave after she takes more and more of them. Yeah, and so it makes sense that she would be rather docile after being doped up with quaaludes. Exactly. Well, at this point, he's kind of on top of the theater, and a cop takes a shot at him and hits him right in the shoulder. Uh, it's pretty bad, though. Uh, the the sheriff is kind of really pissed off at him. Well, anyway, he takes Marilyn, gives her some more quaaludes, and then pushes her back through the door back into the Chinese theater. She doesn't want to go, but he's like, no, get out of here. And he closes She it. knows that if she is not with him, he will die. And yeah. he knows the same, and that is why he is trying to save her. Yes. 
Um, Eric then walks back to the ledge, uh, does the whole, I'm on top of the world, mom, on top of the world, more cops shoot at him, he falls to his death, roll credits. It's important to note that when they were doing the I'm Top of the World, they're cutting back and forth to his favorite movie yes. with Cagney as Cody Jarrett, and he's totally exactly. being transformed into Cody. And what he's getting here in this moment is the suicide by cop or the proof that it doesn't matter how many bullets you put in him, he's going to keep standing. You know, yeah, just right. like just like Cody does at the end of the film. They make him into this hero, even though he's in his own personal hell that's on fire as this is happening. You know, yeah. And that's kind of what we were supposed to be seeing from Eric's perspective as his version of Cody. And then he just does fall to his death, but he essentially suicides by cop. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Such Although he downer. probably wouldn't have if the first cop hadn't taken that shot. But I think that shot was close enough to, it was a high powered rifle and even through the shoulder, I think it was Cody was bleeding out, uh, Eric was bleeding out enough just to die. Uh, I think once he actually got shot, that sealed it to where, th- this is pretty much what he wanted all along as far as I'm concerned, but yeah. I think that one shot sealed it to where Cody fully took over and he was going to get Cody's death. That was his plan all along. It had to have been. The way that he goes up on the roof where they have to get him with snipers and stuff, you know, the way that he just keeps going with all yeah. of this, you know, the just the, like to the movie palace and then on top of it, like, I think you were right when the, the he was probably expecting a way out on the screen and that's why he was upset because we were seeing it from everyone else's perspective there and not their drug haze, you know? We get moments pretty much when he puts her in the staircase where in his mind it becomes even more cinematic and it's even more obviously like a very glossy shot film. Um, yeah. Where even he's being shot at and stuff like that, it's like extremely much more polished and feels much more like it's supposed to be the cinematic moment, you know? Like, we're, like a yeah. hyper-realistic version of it. And then especially when they start cutting back and forth and they are recreating the sequences with Cagney so well back and forth and you just see that break with reality where he's literally living that moment in the film which he's done his entire life and this is how he chooses to die he wants to die exactly as Cody does in the film like mimicking the motions perfectly to the point where he falls to his death is pretty much how Cody kind of drops before the flames overtake him yeah pretty much yeah and they time it so well and they cut back and forth with it so well and it's just so well done and there's so much other stuff to unpack pack just when you find out that that lady's been his mom the entire time and lying about it and the way that she's been treating him and being sexually inappropriate towards him anyway even though she knows <laughs> right uh, yeah no yeah you're right i'm sorry sometimes you have a great conversational thing going and i think you're going on to whole like you have a whole new point to keep going to <laughs> but no you are very right on all of that <laughs> and just the sheer amount because obviously we know he he must be schizophrenic. The sheer amount of personalities that reside within Eric. Well, are... schizophrenic is just a loss with reality, but yeah. um, I do believe that he does have a dissociative identity disorder, and I or I'm sorry, yeah, dissociative identity disorder. I think it's DID is the the proper term for it. I'm trying to be as kind about it as I can. Yeah, uh, I I do believe that that is the case. He has that, and I believe that it is stemming from the sexual abuse of his what he knows as a matriarch that's supposed to be an anthem. That's not even related to him. I cl- and even if there was no sexual abuse, the just the actual abuse he got. Well, no, there's the, there's, the regular abuse. Yeah, no, there's just from his it being blamed. Number, number I one, think back rub was code for something. It makes me think that she has been sexually abusing and, him. And again, you could be right. I'm just saying. Even, let's just say back rub is just a back rub. Uh, it's still not right. <laughs> it's still not right. But more than that, even without the back rub thing, the the 
belittling him constantly, blaming him for things that are not his fault, lying to him about his parentage is all abuse enough to cause a lot of fucking pro- to cause these problems without any sexual abuse. I okay, I don't know enough about psychology to speak definitively about this. I'm only speaking of it in terms of what I know movie-wise and in layman's terms. Um yeah. usually a trauma needs to be severe enough to split a personality. It needs to be a severe enough event to where it will split a person because it has to happen to somebody else. Okay. So okay. um what you're talking about is just a general psychopathy developing in the nurturing aspect of the abuse right but an actual but an actual creation of an identity requires a very specific large amount of trauma that the brain can't deal with so it had to have happened to another person usually as far as my understanding of it goes so uh, like a, a history of the abuse the way that she does it where she's belittling him absolutely he's going to try and escape that and that's where the running off to other movies but the splitting of personalities has to be something else that happens to him that's why we actually see them happen like the Cody Jarrett thing that we see him become is very clearly like him not being able to deal with killing his own matriarch, which is actually his real true mother, which he thought was his aunt slash um, somebody that just knew his mom. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that could be a possibility. True. Yeah. And, all that as well. Well, and I mean, obviously the film is not throwing any of this at us. We're just kind of making our own interpretations and guesses and trying to figure out what it is that we're seeing. Because what we do know for sure, 100%, is Cody surfaces, if he didn't already exist, right there with that death. Yeah. And that is where he totally, in the film, we see for sure, begins escaping reality intentionally because he's more and more heinous acts as they go have to be committed by somebody else. And I th- it's true. I-, I, think, uh, I think that killing someone was still so horrible to Eric that he needed to be a different person to do it. Possibly, yeah. Uh, yeah, killing is still a bad thing. Uh, fuck, there are so many ways this movie can fucking go. Right, like I said, I'm going to be obsessed with it a while. I'm going to be talking yeah. about it for a fucking while, probably, like, and trying to figure it out and suss it out in my head. And I want to show this to, like, some other folks, man. Like, this is this is definitely I something... That- I want people who watch this show to fucking really, really check out this movie. It's fucking important. <laughs> wow, that is fucking... That's big for you to say something like that, to actually call a film important. It's a, it's a, it's a commentary on the human condition. Wow. That is... Seriously, I'm not fucking trying to belittle you, and I'm not trying to, like, being asshole about this. Like, for you to actually make it that definitive and declarative of a statement about a film in artistic expression wise is really yeah. big for you. You don't fucking do that. I usually don't, but th- this is one of them. That's <laughs> wow. That's, that's a, I mean, it's the same. And, and, and you nail, you put the nail on the head really well early in the show. When you said this is very much like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Cause that was, I thought was a pretty important, uh, movie, uh, to deal with, the human condition and not just the, you know, this person, this Arthur becoming the Joker, uh, it, it, all of what happened in Gotham city in that movie. So everything's surrounding it. And I think you see the same thing in this movie because you're not just looking at what Eric is dealing with. You have all these people who Eric uh, has in his life who everyone's looking to take advantage of someone else or no one has any patience anymore. Uh, you have a police force with a guy who thinks he can reach people, a therapist, and they, they, they brought him in, but a police chief who doesn't believe that at all and somewhat believes the only way to deal with these people is to put them in jail um, and that no one can be redeemed. So, again, it's not just about Eric, and I think that's what makes a movie important. 
is when you can make all the other things that go on where Eric's not in the scene seem very important and be a commentary on on what it is to live in this world. So I thought that was pretty important. You know, when I started this show seven plus years ago, I was wanting this exact moment at some point. And I'm so glad that we finally reached it after all these years. Seven years, baby. I'm a late mover. No, but... You just didn't have the right material put in front of you yet, man. You needed this yeah. film. Like you obviously you needed the journey that you got that took you to this film for you to be able to appreciate everything about this movie. Because I don't think Matt in episode two would have been able to give this film its due. No. No, Matt in episode two would not have done well in this movie. You have grown <laughs> that much in a film appreciation from doing this show that a gem like this hit you so resonantly that you speak so passionately about it that you are one of us for sure now. You are 100% every bit of film buff that I am. I am. There's. It's un, It's inarguable to me, 100%, just hearing oh, you Jesus, right there. You. you sound- <laughs> I mean something. <laughs> you sound like us. You are one yeah. of us now. We have done it. The show has accomplished the cinema. PsyOps has lived up to its name. <laughs> yes. Now, now what do we do? <laughs> I guess we just fucking quit, right? No, I don't think we can do that. <laughs> Not at this point. We finally got just, you here. Let's see what just, we can do with it. Yeah, yeah let's see now what else we can do. Because, <laughs> hey, you never know. It's a surprise now. Next week can be the same insightful thoughts about a movie, or I'm just going to make turd jokes for about an hour and a half, and then say how the movie sucked on nuts. You never know. You never know. <laughs> What's it gonna be, folks? I guess it'll just what's, depend upon what court it comes be? to him. Insightful or dick and fart jokes? We just don't know. Sometimes both. That's really what Sometimes we strive for. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's both. <laughs> I, we could talk for hours and hours and hours about Fade to Black, yeah. and I know that you and I have found something um, that we can definitely definitively point to as a success story for this show. I think we do real well with these type of movies anyway, because it does speak to, even though it's in 1980, but whenever we have these type of movies, whether it was um, Henry portrait of a serial killer, uh, any movie that kind of follows the killer and it's not some supernatural fucking thing. It's just a killer, a flesh and blood human being. You know, you could see something like in this movie actually happen in real life. Um, when we get these type of movies, I think because of how this all, how our world is and how we treat mental health, I think we have so much to talk about with it. Yeah. Especially in our nation, it is yeah. really egregious what happens to people something, with mental health issues. Something made in 1980 can easily resonate in 2022. I think that means something. Yeah. And it's that well done. And I'm glad that I have at least the best version of it I've got to see. And I, yeah. I own it and I can watch it anytime I want because I own the Blu-ray. Yeah. I'm yeah, fucking exactly. so happy about that. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking great. You're absolutely right. It does still resonate 100%. And um, I'm, I feel like we have definitely done the most justice we possibly could for this film and also filleted it way more than we probably should have. Way more than we probably should have, but it is what it is. Too late. <laughs> Too late. We can't unflate it. So let's just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We might as well just close out the show and just end it here, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Let's go to bed, man. <laughs> yeah. I know. I promised two songs that Marilyn are singing, but I just really, really need to do celluloid heroes from the Kinks for our ending song here. It just it fits yeah. so much better with everything we talked about with Eric than just Marilyn singing. I'm sorry, folks, but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema.
Cinema Psyops, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcast, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Mean Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Mental Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. really fitting i think it's really touching and i really enjoy celluloid heroes from the kinks i think this is a really good song to play especially after such a touching talk that we had about the film yeah it's also touching yes everybody is being touched and hopefully it's with consent because we are all about consent on this show Yeah, only with consent (laughs) make sure that you touch everyone including yourself with consent yeah, you better consent to yourself to touch yourself, all right? <laughs> or check yourself before you wreck yourself. Do check yourself before you wreck yourself, fool. <laughs> if you would like to find other instances where we have made reference to old hip-hop and or R&B songs that we do not understand, nor do we quite quote right either. Be- but it sounds nice, all right? Listen, I don't have to understand your music just to enjoy it. <laughs> the uh, 338 previous instances of that occurring are available on our main landing and or launching page, legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops dash podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I think URL just gets longer and longer every fucking year. Yeah, dude. the URL is like just like 
Listen, we're gonna need five minutes of the show just to give you the URL. Uh, backslash question mark hashtag. Well, I take 15 minutes out of my day during a phone call meeting while working to post to our Instagram, cinema underscore psyops. Bryce Daly, you get memes, so I try to get those memes at you all at once. I do a shotgun blast of them during that meeting, and I post it across all of social media, but the very first place it gets, Instagram, cinema underscore psyop. Only the freshest of memes. It is then shared to my Twitter feed, at court underscore psyop, and simultaneously shared to our Facebook page, Cinema Psyops. And the group, Cinema Psyops. All stuff having to do with Cinema Psyops, aptly titled Cinema Psyops, except for my Twitter, because we did Twitter individually for some reason. Yeah, yeah, well, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> I'm also, it is what it is, man. I'm also on Facebook individually as Court Psyops. Why individually? Ask Darren Wilson, because at least yeah. he'll get back to you. Oh, motherfucker. You, I'm telling you right now. You're over seriously? a year, dude. Am I over a year? Yeah. Yeah, that is true, because it was, yeah, because, yeah, shit would... Listen, man, shit's gone sideways in life a lot of times. You just gotta deal with that, right? <laughs> I know that, but the people don't know that, and Darren still needs an apology, my man. All right, all right, all right. Darren, No, no, I'm you sorry. need you need to reach out to him. I but... gotta reach out to him? Yes, you have to reach out to him and apologize. Fuck! <laughs> all right. <laughs> Do it via email if you're that scared. <laughs> Sir, fucking Hallmark card and gift. A Hallmark card for I sorry I ghosted you for a year because I'm a dick. I don't think they make that. I mean, okay, if they make that Hallmark card, email me a link to it at cinemasciencecourt yeah, yeah, yeah. at sorry. gmail.com. <laughs> well, I want that card now. Sorry. But now I want it for like people like, sorry I ghosted you for a year after we had sex. Well, while you're out there trying to find that e card for Matt that talks about, sorry I ghosted you for a year after we had sex, kick the fuck <laughs> out of this week and make it your bitch. I should sound so much better to you this week than I normally do. You do, actually. <laughs> My upload speed is 10 times faster than what Company A previously offered with new Company B. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, wait, wait, one, two, three. All right, I'm recording. Everything's coming through right. Uh, it's funny. I had Company B, and it wasn't all that great. Really? Yeah. Well, they just pulled brand new fiber through my area. It's all, oh, yeah. all brand new. And they're trying to get people to transfer over. Oh, maybe I should check and see if they've done fiber for us. <coughs> I think they have, actually. But what you need to... did a lot of work. Yeah, but what you need to make sure of, though, is that you are getting the uh, fiber version of Company B than Company A. Yes. Because if, yeah. you're, if you're not, you're getting an amalgamation of a bunch of other shit that fucking blows. You need yes. to make sure that it's you're getting the fiber. It's got to be fiber. Right. Yeah. I was expecting something completely different. The guy pulled a fiber optic line, full fiber, like a fiber optic drop line 
from the pole to my house. Damn. And then he had a termination block thing that he did on the outside with a line that comes into the inside that's just basically like a repeater that connects the two uh -huh. together. Yeah. That fiber optic line is more like, uh, he said it was more like the types of fiber optics that they put in those Christmas trees. <laughs> nice. You know, where it's a little more flexible, but it still does the job and the light still gets through like it's no problem. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, we, we pulled that through. We got that all hooked up and everything. And I, I did help the guy um, because uh, we had to pull through the ceiling in my basement. Yo. <laughs> but what we did and what felt really, really good is I pulled the cable out that was meant for my modem and used Yo. that as a pull string for the fiber optic cable. Yeah. So it was oh, like yeah, a well, that's nice. <laughs> and it felt so good to be helping him do that. <laughs> <laughs> So you're recording on your side, right? Yes. And then you do have the snowball looking good? Yeah. Okay. Just always have to double check because that one time we forgot for like 10 minutes. Yeah, one time, yeah. We both forgot poorly. and just didn't double check it. It was a little fun <laughs> editing. Huh? Uh, Fade to Black, the movie, is what you covered? Uh, Yep. Fade to Black. All right. Awesome. And can you hear this? Probably can't yet. Yeah. You heard that. I heard that. Yeah. All right. So if you can hear that, is that loud enough for you? Yeah, it's loud enough. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So you ready to go? Ready to go. Let's fucking get this done. 339 Let's... episodes, dude. Motherfucker. Jesus. I mean, I can quote movie lines like a motherfucker. It's it's kind of what I do. It's one of my only personality traits, which tells you why I don't have many friends. Right, and I'm decent uh, at impersonations, so I quote yeah. movie lines all the time with impersonations as best I can. And I can't memorize anything else in the world, but I can memorize movie lines. It's it's great that I have this gift. I could probably I tell you the gaffer on Godfather 3 before I can tell you what my grandmother looked like. Yeah, yeah, see, that's... Uh, I could probably go through every line of Star Wars, yet when I try to do my taxes, it's highly confusing. I can describe in intimate detail from beginning to end Army of Darkness and quote probably every line if I really work at it, even at this age, but I can't tell you again what my grandmother looked like. Better yet, I know every line of every scene of all three of the original trilogy. I just do. Watched them enough, I know it. I can't tell you when my mother or my father or my sister's birthdays are. <laughs> exactly. This guy right now, as we're seeing it so far, is us as the movie fanatic watching a movie be about a movie fanatic. But let's go back to the why can't all this be done for like math and shit? Something that would actually maybe help me in life. Uh, that would probably be your ADHD that went undiagnosed oh, yeah. until your adult years. No, I got diagnosed in my middle school years. Oh, you were one of those kids that was super obvious. <laughs> Nowadays, it's pretty simple to get diagnosed. When I got diagnosed, I went through eight hours of testing. Four hours of, like, written, like, tests and shit you had to do, like, school. And then four hours of physical testing. Yeah, shit got real. So anyway. Jesus, I've learned so much about you that I'm wondering if our audience should even know any of that. Yeah, we might want to cut that shit. Uh, just, I get off on a fucking tangent about ADHD. <laughs> it's almost like you get distracted and have to go on tangents like you have ADHD. Anyway, let me tell you about the shiny new watch I just saw. Um, <laughs> so, Our shows the last two weeks have been a fucking mess, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last two weeks have just been fucked. <laughs> <laughs> because we're having fun again while we're doing it, so I don't give yeah. a shit. Yeah, yeah, right? Fuck it. Who gives a flying fuck? This is good times. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm having fun doing it again, so I don't care if it's going to be bad in the editing. <laughs> Guys with anger problems who also have heart problems? Gee, that sounds like my family line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, that sounds like me. Fuck! <laughs> that's why we get along so well, Matt. Hey, uh, is it weird that my left arm's tingling? Yeah, I'm sure that's nothing. Um, um, mine does that all the time. Every now and then, if I just kind of stand up and, like, cough, it stops. Yeah. Oh, okay. I- I'm sure we're going to be fine. Listen, you and me are very healthy, and we're going to be just fine, Court. We're going to live to, like... At least get this show done, yeah. We're, we're going to live until we're, like, you know, in our mid-40s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to live long enough to finish this show. That's my We're goal right now. Just this show, though. Just this show. Maybe, I don't know about next week, but at least this show. We're going to be. We're going to live. I'm at this point uh, where I don't know if I can promise beyond that. So, yes, I'm going to try and finish at least just this I, show. I'm not even so sure I can promise that I can finish this show. <laughs> but I would have tried, damn it. If we quit getting <laughs> sidetracked, maybe we could. Well, yeah, possibly. <laughs> um, I have movies that are absolutely dog shit terrible, but I own them because Tim Thomerson is amazing in them. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you, for fuck's sake? Come on. <laughs> I am me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, you own movies that are terrible without him in them, just because you want them. So, I'm just saying. <laughs> right, I do have the Blu-ray of Manos Hands of Fate. You're not wrong. <laughs> without MST3K, the actual version of Manos the Hands of Fate in high definition. Yes. Nice. They also imply... Fuck you, Matt. Well, they they do. Holy fuck, Jesus. (laughs) That was awesome. I hit that by accident. Uh, (laughs) Three, two, one. That is my wife's favorite shit to watch, is awkward British dramas. Like one where no one's happy, everyone's melancholy, and it's the weirdest fucking shit that happens. And my wife loves it. And the more awkward, the better for my wife. <laughs> I can't stand it. Those, when she's into that, I'm like, I'll just, I'm heading down to the bar and I'll just, you know, you let me know when you're done and I'll come up back up. We'll watch something together. But <laughs> yeah, I just relax, folks. It. He built a bar in his basement. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bar in my basement. <laughs> He's not going to uh, the bar. In, in, in the bunker. Sometimes <laughs> I go to the bar. If she's really getting into it, I'll go to the bar to grab some wings. <laughs> what I'm talking but, about is the British comedies that use the awkwardness. Oh, the reason that yeah. those work so well for us. And she loves those too, and that, it still even makes me crazy. there trying to find that e-card for Matt that talks about sorry I ghosted you for a year after we had sex. Kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch. We still rolled over two hours and I was trying Jesus to keep it under but we just we couldn't. We couldn't do it. It's gonna be a great fucking episode though. Oh yeah and I am done recording.